You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. This past week, uh, Jason Harrison, uh, Dale, and I traveled to North Carolina to attend the annual conference of the Pillar Network, uh, the network we are now working with to help plant and revitalize gospel-centered churches all across our nation. We were profoundly encouraged and challenged in so many different ways. But on our final day, we, we listened to a, a very challenging panel conversation about the Lord's table. This conversation pushed, us, pushed uh, each of us to think more deeply about the table and how God intends for it to shape our life together as a church. One of the comments made during this excellent panel conversation was by Southeastern Seminary's Dr. Keith Whitfield. He reminded us that there are five looks associated with the Lord's table. There is a look back. A look back at what Christ accomplished on the cross. There is a look up at our union with Christ. There is a look around at the covenant community. There is a look out to those who are lost and in desperate need of Christ. And there is a look forward to the victorious return of King Jesus. Friends, this is why we can rightly say that along with baptism, the Lord's Supper is the defining and shaping event in the life of the church. I hope and pray that this table never becomes a ritual, something we do a couple of times a month, but give very little thought to. In fact, in an effort to help us think more carefully about this most important act of worship, I'm, I'm going to take a handful of Sundays throughout the next year or so to focus our attention entirely on the Lord's table. And I'm going to start that this morning, as I haven't been able to think about much else over the last few days, and then we'll be back in Acts in another week. So please take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Second Chronicles chapter 30. Don't feel ashamed if you have to look at your table of contents. Second Chronicles chapter 30. While you're finding that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, crucified and risen, we have no access to you. We are sinners, hopeless and helpless, condemned. But in Christ, we have been forgiven. And through Christ, we have gained access to you, Father. We have been given eternal peace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so everything we do this morning is only possible because of Christ. He is the center of everything. In Him, all things hold together. He is to be preeminent. So that is our desire. Holy Spirit, lift up Christ before us so that we might see Him in His glory. 
do this for our joy. In Christ's name, amen. Several years ago, a local news station in Miami, Florida reported on a birthday party that was held at Chuck E. Cheese. Friends and family were there to celebrate Michael Emanuel Jr.'s sixth birthday. And here's what the news report said. The party itself went just fine. The problem came when it was over. All the children and adults climbed into three different vehicles and headed home. Everyone, that is, except Michael. Apparently, the six-year-old returned to the play area, and when the party-goers departed, he was left behind. Employees found Michael wandering around the restaurant at 10 p.m. and called the police. Michael's mother had assumed that her son was staying with his grandmother and didn't even realize he was missing until the next morning. Now, what I find interesting about this story is not simply that it makes me feel like a better parent (laughs) because I've never done this. But friends, think about it. The people who gathered for the celebration actually forgot the central object of their celebration. The reason they came together was lost amidst the activity of the gathering itself. In other words, this is a particularly good illustration of the kind of forgetting that God's people tend to fall into. In the midst of our religious activity, we forget the central object and proper focus of all our religious activity, the resurrected Christ, the risen Lamb. Brothers and sisters, this weekly gathering is all about Him. And yet far too often our weekly celebration goes on while the one we have actually gathered to celebrate is forgotten. This is why Scripture commands us to remember. In fact, Jesus commands it in Revelation 3, verse 3. The Apostle Paul reiterates this command in 2 Timothy 2, and verse 8. Simply, the command is remember. Remember. If we're truly going to move forward to advance the gospel in our community and around the world, then we must stop often and look back. To move forward, we have to look back. Because remembering God's work in the past produces faith for the future. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, we see both the danger of forgetting and the power of remembering. Before we dive in, let me give you a brief rundown of where things stand in the nation of Israel. More or less, the nation is a mess. Years earlier, this once great nation divided into a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. Both kingdoms were plagued by kings that perverted the worship of God and openly embraced idolatry. So as judgment for their idolatry... God sent the nation of Assyria to destroy the northern kingdom, sending them into exile. Things hadn't been much better in Judah, though they weren't yet 
exiled. So this is what we find in our text this morning. A king named Hezekiah rules the nation of Judah. And he's one of the good kings. In chapter 29, he cleaned out and repaired the temple, bringing back the priests and reinstituting worship in the temple. So when we arrive at chapter 30, we find Hezekiah reestablishing the yearly Passover celebration. Look with me at verse 1. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes. And the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation, as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. You can see what the spiritual condition has been like in Israel. Hezekiah begs the people, Verse 7, don't be faithless to the Lord. Then he pleads with them in verse 8, don't be stiff-necked, obstinate, rebellious. Sadly, faithlessness or unbelief and rebellion had been a perfect description of the nation for many generations. But friends, what had led the nation of Israel to this widespread unbelief and rebellion? Why were they forgetting? There are many valid answers to this question, but our text highlights one factor that we might easily overlook. Notice again verse 5. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. You see, they had not celebrated the Passover. And this was in part what led them into their unbelief. Now, let me be clear. There was no transforming power inherent in the Passover celebration. It wasn't some magical ceremony that would keep their hearts from turning to idolatry. But the annual Passover feast was also far more than a meaningless religious ritual. 
God instituted Passover for a very important reason. It had its roots in Israel's early history. The account of the first Passover is recorded in Exodus chapter 12. Why don't you turn over there with me? Exodus chapter 12. The nation of Israel was in captivity in Egypt. They were oppressed and afflicted by a wicked Pharaoh. So they begged God to deliver them. He mercifully heard their cries and he raised up a deliverer named Moses and sent him to rescue the people. Most of you know the story really well. God rescued his people by bringing 10 plagues upon Egypt. After the final plague, the Egyptians begged the Israelites to leave, even giving them all the gold and jewels in Egypt on their way out. So again, most of you know this story so well. But after letting them go, Pharaoh has a sudden change of heart and he pursues Israel. But God miraculously delivers them by dividing the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry ground. When the Egyptian army tried to follow, the walls of water caved in and swallowed them up. From there, the nation of Israel began their journey to the Promised Land. Now, let's pause for a moment and go back to that final plague. The one that caused the Egyptians to say, leave. Get out of here. What was it? It was the death of the firstborn. Remember the account God sent an angel to kill all of the firstborn in Egypt? But the Israelites were given a way to protect their firstborn? And what was it? What were they to do? They were to kill a lamb and spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home. Look at verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now look at God's instruction in verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Each year God's people were to celebrate God's great salvation, the day he delivered them from slavery and death by the shed blood of a lamb. This was to be memorialized forever. And here's the reason. Look at verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Friends, picture that. 
picture that scenario. As a family gathers around and they begin to observe this feast and children ask questions. Remembering the Passover each year would help future generations place their trust in the one true God. The Passover was a yearly appointment to remember. Remember what God has done for His people. It was also a yearly reminder to believe His promises for the future. And it was a yearly invitation to trust in His care All of that would be depicted powerfully in this Passover meal. Friends, forgetting, forgetting undercuts faith. Forgetting undercuts faith. When you forget what God has done in the past and what God has promised to do in the future, you allow weeds to grow up and attack the foundation of your faith. So each of us must be aware of how easy it is to slip into a state of spiritual amnesia. It's so easy for this to happen, but it's incredibly dangerous. It's dangerous because faith is not blind. Faith rests in something. It rests in what God has actually done and what God has promised to do. It's not blind faith. According to God's word, friends, when we forget God's works, we have taken a huge step toward unbelief. Right? So often when we think about the danger of sin and those besetting sins which could wreak so much havoc on our lives. I don't want to in any way diminish those things, but how often do we do we think deeply about how devastating it is when we forget what God has done? Parents, this is why you must not only remind yourself of God's works, but you must constantly talk with your children about them as well. Your most basic duty, your most basic duty as a parent is to pass on your faith to your children. There are a thousand things that vie for your attention. There are a million things that culture tells you you must do for your children. And yet when we go to Scripture, there's a refreshing simplicity. It's not easy, but it's straightforward. Tell your children about God every chance you get. Tell them of the gospel every single day. Of course, you cannot make them believe. But each day you can teach them God's word. You can tell them of his wonders. You can testify of his amazing grace in your own life. In fact, parents, how often, how often do you use the Lord's table to talk about the gospel with your children? 
If your children haven't yet embraced Christ, what an amazing opportunity. And if they have, use the table to push them to keep believing in Jesus. Keep trusting Him. Do your best to make sure that your children never relegate this table to a meaningless spiritual ritual. This is a declaration of the gospel. Now back to our text. Remember that both kingdoms, north and south, Israel and Judah, were eventually exiled. And I want you to hear, I want you to hear how the prophets describe this reason for their exile. You won't find it in Exodus, but in Jeremiah 13, Jeremiah 18, and Ezekiel 23. I want you to hear how these prophets describe the reason for their exile. Jeremiah 13, verse 24. I will scatter you like chaff driven by the wind from the desert. This is your lot. The portion I have measured out for you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. Jeremiah 18, verses 15 and 17. But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. Like the east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. And then Ezekiel 23, verse 35. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourselves must bear the consequences of your lewdness and whoring. There is a tremendous danger in forgetting. God, who is all-wise and all-knowing, instituted Passover to help the nation of Israel remember who He was, what He had done, and what He promised to do. Yet the people ignored Passover, forgot what God did, and turned away from Him in unbelief and rebellion. And if it can happen to the nation of Israel, it certainly can happen to all of us. If forgetting undercuts faith, and it does, we could say that remembering undergirds faith. Remembering undergirds faith. When we forget, weeds spring up in faith's foundation. But when we remember, we attack the roots of those weeds. We choke out unbelief. And our foundation remains strong. You can think about it this way. Remembering is a way of lending support to your faith. Of giving fuel to your faith. In fact, that's exactly what we see in our main text this morning. As the people reinstituted the Passover, their faith grew. As they remembered God's work in the past, God gave them grace in the present. So back in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, I want you to look at verse 21. Follow along as I read. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread or Passover. 
seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service of the Lord. So they ate the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Then, then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. So they kept it for another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep for offerings. And the princes gave the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep. And the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people. And their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. What a difference remembering makes. What a difference remembering makes. As they remembered God's great salvation and his future promises, they were moved to faith-filled worship and celebration. The whole place was filled with joy. In fact, they decided to do an extra week of Passover. They didn't want to stop. They didn't want to forget. They wanted to revel in the kindness and the grace and the salvation of God. In fact, we see evidence a few chapters later that their faith was strengthened by this act of remembering. In fact, turn to chapter 32. 2 Chronicles 32. Sennacherib, king of Assyria... The nation who had defeated the northern kingdom of Israel invaded Judah and laid siege to Jerusalem. This place that was full of joy. The people were getting scared. But look at what Hezekiah told them. Verse 7. Be strong. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Where did Hezekiah's faith come from in this situation? Why was he confident that God would fight their battle for them? Well, he remembered. He remembered that God had done it before. God had delivered Israel from Pharaoh and his army. And do you know how this siege ends? Look at verse 21. And the Lord sent an angel 
who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like a previous time in Israel's history when God sent an angel to deliver them from the hands of a wicked king. Remembering God's work in the past produces faith for the future. Hezekiah remembered God's work in the past and when his faith was assaulted, it remained strong. His faith was supported and strengthened by those weeks of reflecting upon God's faithfulness and power in the first Passover. Uh, friends, how many, how many of you have experienced something like this? Whether it's a service on a Sunday or it's a, a particularly sweet time together with a small group of other believers or it's your own quiet time with the Lord in the morning. But then you go throughout your day and it's a particularly discouraging day. Or maybe your faith is assaulted by some circumstance that you face. But you find yourself in the midst of of challenge and discouragement and suffering. And the Holy Spirit brings to your mind something that you studied or experienced or, or were reminded of in the past. And He brings it to you in that moment. And your faith is strengthened. Friends, consider, consider how all of this applies to us. How it connects to our worship this morning. We've seen the importance of remembering and the danger of forgetting. But the most significant application for us is this. What was it? What was it that God's people needed to remember They needed to remember the great works of God in the past and the great promises of God for the future. We should picture the Passover celebration as a bridge. A bridge from the past to the future. It was a bridge from past rescue to future rescue. The the Passover looks back to the Exodus and looks forward to the cross. In celebrating Passover, the people of God would remember the lamb that was slain to rescue them from the angel of death. But they would also remember the promise of a future lamb. A future lamb who would be slaughtered to rescue them from eternal death. Just as God was faithful in the past to deliver them from slavery, He would be faithful in the future to deliver them from sin. Looking back at the Passover is a reminder to turn and look ahead to the Messiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote that the Messiah would come like a lamb. That is led to the slaughter, Isaiah 53. When the Messiah, Jesus Christ, appeared before John the Baptist, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul calls Jesus our 
Passover lamb. Peter reminds us that we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Looking back on God's mighty work of deliverance would strengthen the Israelites' faith in God's promise of a future and fuller deliverance. God would work in the future just as he had in the past, but it would be better. And this is precisely what God did. He sent the Lamb. He sent his own son to die for sinful men. Jesus Christ shed his blood so that God's wrath would pass over us. And so we come to this table this morning just as Israel was given a special time to remember what God had done in the past and what he promised in the future, we too have been given this time. In fact, it was during the Passover celebration that Jesus gave his disciples a new ceremony. Like the old ceremony, its purpose was to help his followers remember Friends, this table is given to us so we won't forget. And we are prone to forget. The Passover was based upon an old covenant and remembered the shed blood of animals. But the Lord's Supper is based upon a new covenant and remembers the shed blood of of God's only Son. Jesus, the night before he died, broke a piece of bread and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to remember me. He poured out a cup of wine. And said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this to remember me. There are times where I prepare to leave for a trip. I'll be gone a few days and one of my kids will bring me a toy. Or they might bring me a stuffed animal. And they say, Dad, take this with you. So you'll remember me. There's a, there's a sweetness in this table that Jesus would say to us don't forget me remember me just like the Israelites we are we are prone to bouts of spiritual amnesia we forget what Jesus accomplished on the cross we forget what God has promised for the future and so we need to be reminded. We cannot forget. The Passover was a bridge from the Exodus to the cross. The Lord's Supper is a bridge from the first coming of Christ to the second.
As Jesus instructed, this sufferer proclaims his death until he comes. Looking back gives us hope for the future. Friends, if you look around the world and you find what's happening to be discouraging, to be frightening, let this table remind you the promises made that are yet to be fulfilled. Looking back on Christ's death for sin gives us faith to trust that there will come a day when everyone who believes will finally and fully be delivered from sin. Again, for the person fighting besetting sin, this table is a means of grace. Come. Come to this table and find hope. Looking back at his resurrection gives us faith as we await his return. We could say it this way, past grace assures us of future grace. When we think about the cross, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, texts like Romans 8.32 should come to our mind. As we think about the promise fulfilled, our minds should be flooded with texts like Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Right, This little cracker and a little cup of juice reminds you of the bounty that God has promised to you in Christ. So friends, let's never become the group that gathers for the celebration only to forget the guest of honor. But by the powerful work of God's Spirit, let's gather every week to celebrate the risen Lord who alone is our present and eternal hope and joy. Let's remember.